Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us this week. As always, we thank the Believe Network for believing in this show. We thank our producer director, Dave Armbruster, as he is spinning the dials and making sure everything is working perfectly, per usual. And we thank you for joining us. Last week, uh, it was part one with Jerry Colangelo, who, you know, I I think you can make the argument. uh, Now, I'm not talking about owners that just own one team in one sport. I think it's safe to say that uh, of any owner, and there are a lot of them, but of any owner that owned teams in more than one of the major sports, that he is the greatest owner in sports history. He uh, owned the Phoenix Suns. He brought Major League Baseball to the desert, owned the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, he also owned the Phoenix Mercury. He also owned the Arizona Rattlers. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. We heard him talk about last week at 28 years young, and to this day, he is still the youngest general manager ever in the history of the four professional major sports. That's when he leaves the Bulls to go to Phoenix in 1968. And I mean, Phoenix in 1968. Good Lord. I mean, I moved out there in 1995. And it was, you know, roughly about 1.5 million good size. By the time I moved out of there, it was 3.7 million. Now it's up over five and a half million population. So imagine going there in the late 1960s. We talked about all of that, the buildup to the Suns franchise uh, when he was a GM, the drug scandal that hit that franchise, uh, which allowed him then to buy the franchise. He brought in Charles Barkley. They go to the NBA Finals. They get beat by Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Today, we're going to shift gears and talk about the birth of the Arizona Diamondbacks, about how, you know, after the first year, uh, he decides we're not going to lose. So he brings in Randy Johnson and Todd Stottlemyre and Luis Gonzalez and Craig Council and all these other guys. And they go to the playoffs in year two. They win the World Series in year four. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the day he gets the call from David Stern, commissioner then of the NBA, about taking over as director of USA Basketball and his decision to hire Mike Krzyzewski, a college coach, to coach pro players, uh, about the meetings he had with Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, about coming back and playing for the United States of America and the dominance of USA basketball since Jerry Colangelo took it over and became its director. That and more coming up next. You're dialed in with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. 
Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health, serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. We're back with Jerry Colangelo, and and Jerry, you know, you, you still own the Phoenix Suns, but there's, there's this eye on Major League Baseball. You you are a baseball player. You've always been a baseball fan, uh, and now you're coming up with the idea to bring a Major League team to Phoenix. I mean, look, there are a lot of people with a lot of money that can sit around and say, hey, love, I'd, I'd love to bring a Major League team to my city. But how does that thing start for you back then? Well, it's interesting. Uh, we had just lost the um, in the championship series to the Chicago Bulls in 93, and uh, there was a big parade in downtown Phoenix. Hundreds of thousands of people showed up, and I call it a love-in for their Phoenix Suns, and we didn't win. You know, we came in second. Um, I was in my offices when Joe Gargiola Jr., who was the son of uh, – um, Joe Garagiola Sr., obviously, who had a great career in, in, in baseball, not only as a, as a player, but in broadcasting, etc. cetera. Uh, but Joe Jr. was uh, an attorney, uh, somewhat of an agent uh, for some young, aspiring baseball guys. And, and he and a member of the county board of supervisors came to see me in my offices and they said they thought it was time for baseball and that I was the only person that could make it happen, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I said, with all due respect, you know, my plate is full. I, I really don't have the inclination. I said, you know, baseball, I felt had some real issues at that time with collective bargaining from what I knew uh, from a distance. Um, but their their pitch to me is pretty compelling. I said, "Look, I'll think, I'll think about it." Uh, I did my own due diligence. Um, I read a book uh, by uh, John Hillier, uh, who wrote for the Wall Street Journal. He wrote a book called uh, uh, "Lords of the Realm," and uh, yep. it was basically uh, a one on one kind of a not concept, but uh, uh, an addition of what collective bargaining was all about and what the issues were. And uh, I came to the conclusion baseball had a problem because the players union won every negotiation. That was the problem. And uh, then I met with the head of the baseball union, Don Fair, who had family who lived in Arizona. We spent a, a day together and I picked his brain. And my conclusion was baseball had bottomed out, and I believed it was on its way back. I spoke to people in baseball that I had relationships with, like Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, uh, Bud Seelig, who was the owner of the Milwaukee 
uh, Braves at the time. Um, uh, not the Braves, but they were at what the Brewers. Right. right. Um, excuse me. And then um, um, the owner of the of the Yankees, George Steinbrenner, and they all encouraged me uh, to take a hard look and go forward, and they would be very supportive. So when I was finished with all my due diligence, um, I said, uh, you know, there's so much that baseball can bring to our community and to the Southwest. Uh, And I thought of my days growing up in Chicago, uh, listening to baseball on the radio, going to sleep when the, when the Cubs were on the road, be it Crosley field or Forbes field Mm -hmm. or Polo grounds or Ebbets field, whatever. Um, And I was a player and I was a prospect and had opportunities to sign a few years later as a teenager. Um, And so that was kind of inside me. And during the finals against the Bulls in 93, I went to Wrigley Field and saw a night game for the first time. And just the experience there kind of touched me. And I did, what passed through my mind was, you know, this would be great if we could make this happen in Phoenix. And lo and behold, that's what transpired. I announced in 1994 we were going to give it a shot. We were awarded in 95. Uh, We built a ballpark and our first season was 98 uh, and we made it happen. I want to go back to the end of the 95 baseball season. Uh, Many will will remember the the incredible uh, best of five series between the New York Yankees and the Seattle Mariners when Ken Griffey Jr. sprints all the way from first base, slides into home. Mariners uh, shocked the Yankees. The New York manager at the time is Buck Showalter. His contract expires uh, at the end of that baseball season at 11.59 p.m. Um, You call him on the phone shortly after midnight, and you decide two years before the team starts to play that he's your guy. Why was Buck Showalter your guy? Well, um, I kind of liked what I saw in him and what I was hearing from people that I had respect for um, in baseball. And so I, and I was always one to uh, to go early. I never was one to sit back and let things come to me. In other words, I'm one to take the initiative and go for something. If you want it, go for it. And so I made a decision um, that I wanted Buck. And uh, it was really interesting. Uh, Steinbrenner had basically uh, let him go. And so um, when word got out that Buck was potentially coming to Phoenix, uh, Steinbrenner flew down to Florida to meet with Buck to try and talk him out of it. And to Buck's credit, he stayed with his commitment to me, the first manager. And I thought it would be unique to have someone who was in the trenches as a manager in, in Major League Baseball be part of building the franchise and the farm system, etc. That was the whole idea. That was the whole plan. You play your first season. Uh, you know, then you decide before year two. All right, we're going all in. You bring in Luis Gonzalez. You bring in Craig Council. You bring in one of the all-time gamers, in my opinion, in the history of professional sports and Todd Stottlemyre. But much like Barkley was the big fish for the Suns, Randy Johnson was the guy 
for the Diamondbacks. He had been traded that year midseason from Seattle to Houston. He's a free agent at the end of the year. You're coming off an expansion season. How do you convince Randy Johnson, who at that point now had been around for a little while, and, and he still hadn't won a World Series, how do you convince him, besides money, but how do you convince him to come to Arizona? You know, it started before that time. Um, I get a call from his agent uh, who tells me that Randy's moving to, to Arizona, to Phoenix, Scottsdale area, and he'd love to have season tickets to go to Suns games. And I said, you know, I don't really have any seats because we're sold out with a long wait list. He says, well, he says, if you if you could help me, then I owe you something. And I said, you know what? I'll figure it out. I'll get him some seats, and I'll call you when it's time. So a little bit of time goes by, and he is about to become a free agent. And I get a hold of his agent, and I told him, okay, now it's my time. <laughs> um, I want to be the first to meet with him. He's going to meet with three or four teams. Um and uh, I also want to be the last. First one in, last one out. That was my uh, deal. So I, I go to, and he said yes. So I met with Randy and his family and uh, two agents at his home. And Randy, of course, at that time had a little bit of long hair and <laughs> so forth. And uh, he says to me immediately, I don't see how this could ever work out. You know how Buck Showalter is. How are we going to get along? And blah, blah, blah. I said, hold it. Hold it, Randy. I said, if you had long hair, if you had tattoos from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, and you had rings coming out of your ears and nose, I'd say pass. But one out of three is okay. (laughs) And he cracked up. And then, you know, we got along extremely well. Um, he went on to meet with two or three other teams, and then I get the call back that, okay, he's finished. You know, when I got that call, I knew I had him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I went through the, um, the process, had another meeting, uh, and that's how he came in. It was interesting. You know, baseball – Baseball's a different culture than basketball. You know, I kind of grew up in the basketball culture. Um, the the people in baseball feel like you really have to pay your dues in order to compete. They want you to, to do it that way. They don't want any phenoms, you know, to, to sure. be successful, you know, in the first few years of a franchise. That's my opinion, and I'm going to stick with that. And um, so... You know, a lot of baseball people said Randy didn't have much left. You know, every arm only has so many pitches, mm-hmm. and he's got a bad back, and blah, blah, blah. Well, um, I wanted him. I selected him. He was willing to sign with us, and we had we had the A starter that we really wanted and needed. And, of course, the rest is history. When you look at the number of Cy Youngs he won starting that next season with us. He had an incredible run with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, and of uh, course, we go ahead. No, 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 you know, as introverted as he was, and, and, and to a large extent uh, still is, although he, I think he's really come out of his, his sort of shell in recent years. But, but then there's a chance to go get Kurt Schilling. 
Now, here's a guy that uh, shy ain't his cup of tea. Outspoken, uh, controversial, uh, and, you know, you have a chance to trade for this guy. He's coming from rough and tough Philadelphia. You know all about those kind of rough and tough towns. Um, What did you think of this guy when he came on board? I knew he was different. I knew he was a different personality. I knew he had some roots in Phoenix, you know, in terms of high school ball, et cetera. Um, But what intrigued me was, you know, on most pitching staffs, they have an ace. They have an ace. I wanted two aces. I thought that would be unique. Um, And so, you know, as we were building our, our, our franchise, uh, we had, we were adding pieces, you know, Tony Womack, and um, you mentioned Consul, you mentioned uh, Luis Gonzalez, uh, Steve Finley, uh, but pitching, pitching, pitching is so darn important. And so when that opportunity presented itself, uh, we jumped. Now, I knew it would be a different cup of tea. Um, with Kurt because of his reputation, uh, I've always had, me personally in, in sports, I've always had very good relationships with the with the players. Why? Because I played both sports. I spoke the language. They, there was trust. You know, when you build trust in one another, a lot of great things can happen. So, you know, I had the meeting with Kurt. You know, he was still Kurt. Uh, and when a few things happened along the way, we had additional meetings. And the bottom line is he did his job, and he did it extremely well, and we got the desired result. You hire Bob Brindley, and you let Buck Walter go. Bob Brindley's my partner up in the television booth. Uh, he had been a major league coach uh, for a number of years, working alongside Dusty Baker and the San Francisco Giants. But then you talk him into joining the team's broadcast booth for 1998. He's there in 98, 99, uh, 2000. Um, but no experience as a manager at any level, minor league, major league, nothing. What did you see in Brenly that convinced you he was the right guy for a team that was ready to win right now? Well, Think back to something I said to you in a prior uh, uh, interview with you, and that was when I coached the Suns in the second year of that franchise. I had never coached anywhere. I started at the top. So, you know, just file that for reference purposes. Brenly, I felt, because he was in the booth and watching this team, he was very familiar with the personnel. Whether he was on the bench or not, he was pretty darn close to the bench sitting there with you. So I just felt we needed that kind of a change. We went from a young team um, thinking we were going to build slowly through the, through the farm system over a four- or five-year period. But after the first year, made a decision to go for it. And that was going to require um, a different kind of leadership. And I thought Brimley was perfect for that because he would be more of a veteran manager uh, that had appeal to me. When I say he would be more comfortable with veteran players and would be have a leg up on being successful, that's what happened. 
You win the World Series in 2001. I, I would make the argument it's the greatest World Series of all time when you consider everything going on, not only the games and, and the competitive level of the games, the future Hall of Fame players that were in that series for both teams, along with the fact that this country uh, had been devastated with the 9-11 attacks uh, roughly a month and a half before that World Series began. You combine all that, and it was just an, an incredible time. Is that the sports highlight of your career, Jerry? Well, it has to be, you know, uh, in terms of domestically, absolutely. Um, winning gold medals on the international stage representing your country is a whole nother level. And I had so much success there. I can't, I don't rank things like that. I just can't. I'm just thankful for all of it. But I want to tell you a little story. Uh, we get to the World Series, and I'm inter- being interviewed before Game One in uh, in Phoenix before the first game of the World Series. And the media said, uh, "Well, how do you feel? You're the quickest team ever to get this far, and you're playing the you know the Yankees. And how do you feel about that?" I said, "Well, I feel great." I said, "If we're going to win our first <laughs> World Series, who better than to be playing than?" the Yankees. And someone said, are you predicting you're going to win? And I said this, and it's a matter of record. I said, no, but if I had my my choice here, the series will go seven games. We'll win it at home in game seven in the ninth inning. The bases loaded, two outs, and Gonzo at the plate. <laughs> I said that. Yeah, I know you did. And what happened as in the surreal setting in game seven sitting in my seats next to the dugout, um, it was happening, except there was only one out when those circumstances took place with Gonzo at the plate. And I'm I'm saying to myself, Lord, you have a great sense of humor. (laughs) I've waited my whole life to win an NBA championship, and I didn't quite get there. I said, and we're about to win a World Series. And it happened. It was amazing. Yeah, it, it, it was. Amazing. It was. It was amazing. It, it was really, really, really amazing. Um, I want to shift gears to USA basketball. The United States was about as low as it could get after dominating international competition forever. Uh, the wheels had fallen off. David Stern picks up the phone. He calls you. Uh, what's the primary component of that conversation? Let me, let me set the table for you, though. In 2004, I sold the Suns for personal reasons in terms of partners, estate planning, etc. cetera. Um, I wasn't quite really sold on doing it, but I had to. Uh, I felt I did uh, to honor, you know, the partners. Mm-hmm. Number two, I stepped down in baseball, and that's – a story that I've never really told much about because it's uh, too painful. Yep. Uh, number three, um, I was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Number four, I found out at the end of the year I had prostate cancer and I needed major surgery. So it was a pretty, pretty difficult emotional year for all those things. I was home recuperating um, when David called me and said, would you take over USA basketball? And instinctively, and that's me, you know me well enough. I said, yes, but I have a couple of conditions. He said, what are they? I said, number one, full autonomy. 
no more no more committees. I'll pick the coaches and I'll pick the players. He says, done. What's number two? I said, I don't want to hear about a budget. And he, you know, yelled and screamed a little bit. And I said, David, are you finished? He said, yes. I said, it's still number two. And so he acquiesced. And then I assured him, don't worry about it. I'll raise the money in terms of sponsorships to pay for it. Because everything had hit bottom for USA Basketball. And within one year, we quadrupled the amount of revenue um, to run the whole program. And we never looked back and continued to grow. So the way I look at that whole thing, it was a per- it was perfect timing for me to take on a new responsibility after what I just ex- shared with you about 2004. And I loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. I remember uh, when we won the first uh, the first gold medal in Beijing in 2008. Um, coach K was my coach, and we we were joined at the hip. We were like brothers through this whole whole time, and he was with me for the first three of those gold medals. Popovich was the mm-hmm. coach for the last one, um, but in '08. Um, when the medals were being hung around everyone's necks and star spangled banners being played and the flag is being lifted and unbelievable. So in my mind, I'm saying very few people have the opportunity to have a vision, a plan, see it perfectly executed and get the desired result. I mean, it was like an unbelievable experience in winning that first gold medal. And, uh, so, you know, I'm full of moments, Tom, that I've had the pleasure of experiencing in my career, and I'm thankful for all of them. When, when, when you sit down, and, and, and you know, Mike Krzyzewski is a Chicago guy, um, and, of course, went in the U.S. Army, and he coached under uh, Bobby Knight. Uh, he has a couple of bumpy years at Duke. He gets that whole thing rolling. But the bottom line is he was a college coach and only a college coach. Did you have right. any reservations whatsoever about a college coach now all of a sudden trying to motivate and trying to coach up these multimillionaire pro players? Well, absolutely, except there's always exceptions. I mean, I, I was totally aware of how players in the NBA felt toward um, um, Coach K. He had a number of his players within the league. Players talk among themselves. Um, and so, no, I felt very, very confident that he would be well-received. He's one of the great communicators uh, in terms of coaching. And so he immediately reached out and started building the relationships. And, you know, the way we put the first team together is that I, I met with each player because I wanted it this way, eyeball to eyeball, to talk about what I was doing. And if they wanted to be part of it, uh, here's what they had to do, A, B, C, and D. And then Coach K would follow up. And, you know, it was a, there was a real plan. And each step along the way, um, Coach K was incredible. I mean, he's one of the great leaders I've ever met. 
uh, not just on the court or field, but in the business world. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's that good and that good of a communicator. And and so it was a real blessing to have him alongside me. You know, the easiest thing in the world, Jerry, to say when, when, when now you're going to sit down with players and, and decide what players you want to make up that roster. But, but, but you knew the league, you knew the players so well and what they were really all about. You could pick up the phone, you could call their coaches, you could call their GMs, you could call their owners. I mean, you could call their friends. You had so many contacts. Was there a player that you said to yourself, and I don't mean just from uh, their talent, their production, whatever. Was there one guy where you said, I got to have this guy on board and a member of this team because of what he brings uh, in tangibles besides being a great player? Well, yeah, and I have some stories about a number of them that would kind of fall in this response to your to your question um that first team was built not only among stars but role players we actually had they weren't the 12 best players um but maybe maybe there were eight of them who were uh eight of the 12 best players but the other four all had a role and so we were very specific in kind of building uh a team along those lines but um, you know, getting Kobe Bryant, it was right after he had scored uh, 81 in the game and uh, the Lakers were coming over to Phoenix and we had a meeting in my offices at the arena. And just to put him on, I said, Kobe, uh, I know you want to be part of this now for the first time. Uh, what if I said to you, your role on this team is going to be different. I don't want you to score. I want you to be a distributor just to put him on. And he kind of smiled and he said, I'll do whatever you want mm. because I want to be part of it. You know, that's a moment you, you don't forget. Um, Dwayne Wade was struggling with uh, injuries at the time, and I was running out of time. I had to pick our roster. I flew to Chicago to see him. Uh, if you remember the name Tim Grover, who was yep. the, uh, the guy who took care of uh, – Michael Jordan uh, as a trainer and and others. Uh, So uh, Tim was working with uh, Dwayne, and I went to see him work out and scrimmage, and he wasn't ready. And this was like a week and a half before I had to make a final selection. And I pulled Dwayne aside, and I said, look, we have a lot in common. We're both Chicago guys. I've always admired your play. I loved your career at Marquette. Um, I loved your game, but I'll tell you, something happened with you, and I'm not quite sure what it was, but you're not the same guy. In other words, I pushed him. I felt that was required. I said, look, I have to make a decision. You tell me. You're 75%. Can you get, can you get it? Can you make it in the next week and a half? And he said yes. Well, as it turned out, he may have been the best player we had in the Olympics that year. You know, there are different buttons and different ways you try to motivate people. All the players we've talked about, be basketball or baseball, you know, I remember a lot of moments with Randy Johnson and with various players on the on the uh, D-backs. 
but that that was one of my strengths, being able to communicate also. Jerry, you're in the Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, the Suns Ring of Honor, the Italian-American Hall of Fame, which is still so close to you. Uh, you you're running the Basketball Hall of Fame now. You have the business school at Grand Canyon University named in your honor. You're in real estate. You're in all these other things. Is there anything that you wish you would have done that you didn't? No. No, I don't. No, I, I would only respond this way. I've been married to the same lady for 61 years. We have a great family. Uh, it's a very expanded family. We've been blessed with a lot of success. We've had our own issues like every family has had. Um, I've been fortunate to be in a, a, a community that I helped maybe move forward toward. Not maybe. You did, city. for sure the great city that it's become and to be associated uh, in the world of sports uh, that I've loved. You know, I grew up that way. And I mean, who, who would ever think uh, as a young kid that if you could look into the future uh, and see where you ended up, um, no one would believe it. It certainly I wouldn't have, but again, not by choice. It was, this was the way it was meant to be. And so I'm just thankful. I'm humbled by all of it. I don't get caught up in achievements. I'm thankful. Um, and the only thing I would say is it's gone by too quickly. And I think most people would say that when they get to a robust age, whether it's 70 or 80 or whatever, um, yeah, it, life goes by too fast. Would you ever want to, to be a part of an ownership group of a professional sports franchise again? You know, it's interesting. I, I would describe where I am today is I, I don't have any hills to climb. I don't. I'm not climbing any mountains. I don't need to. Uh, I'm very content where where I am. I'm enjoying GCU, Grand Canyon, a mm-hmm. lot because I'm close to the program, basketball program. I help Bryce Drew recruit. You know, I'll do whatever I can to be part of a team. That's That's what it's all about at this time. I don't have to be upfront. Uh, so, would I want to be associated with a, a, a team today? I'm not seeking anything. If something came along that I thought was interesting, who knows? Why, why close the book on mm-hmm. anything at all? But I'm not seeking anything like that. Well, Jerry, I, you know, I, I've said it uh, once. I've said it 10,000 times. Uh, you know, of, of all the people that I've ever had a chance to work with, th- th- there's no one like Jerry Colangelo, uh, the, the best boss that, that I ever had. I mean, the, really, the first day I ever met you, um, you know, I went to work for you. And, and I was a single guy leaving Chicago and moving to Arizona. I mean, the day I meet you just to talk about philosophically, you know, what what the broadcast will be like, radio, TV, what announcers go yeah. back and forth, you know, all that kind conversation we had in your office at uh, America West Arena. And then to think later that night, uh, I pick up the phone and call my mother back in Cincinnati. And I say, Mom, you're not going to believe this. Uh, I'm moving to Arizona and going to work for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And she says, what the hell are the Arizona Diamondbacks? And, and of course, you know, um, it, it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, God's plan, there's no doubt, because uh, Polly Rassi was one of the first 25 people along with me that worked there. Uh, she became my wife and still is to this day 21 years later our, our children were, were born there baptized there raised there before we moved um, and, and a big part of my decision to leave was because you weren't there anymore 
I mean, if well, you would have been there, I would have never left. Um, let me say this, and it's, it's appropriate at this time. I, I want to thank you for being such a big part of helping us launch the Diamondbacks and growing the Diamondbacks and selling the Diamondbacks. Uh, you were perfect, and you did your job, and you did it extremely well. You're, in my mind, you were one of the very best in the business. So thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and Jerry, thank you for your time today. And and I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. Hard to believe, isn't it, that uh, we're celebrating that twentieth reunion of the Diamondbacks World Series title? Absolutely, but uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great get together, and. Uh, we can relive some of the great moments of the past. Jerry Colangelo, thank you so much for your time. All our love to Joan and your entire family. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Jerry Colangelo, kind enough to join us uh, two weeks in a row. What an amazing, amazing, amazing man. Um, I, I just can't put into words what, uh, what, what that man has meant to me and my life and the way my life changed um, after I had the opportunity to work for him. Um, I hope I hope he gets a chance because uh, I'm gonna tell you right now. It, 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 give me that guy to help put together a team in any sport. Just give me that guy. Huh. We thank Dave Armbruster, our engineer uh, and our producer of our program. We thank all of you for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, a special two weeks with Jerry Colangelo. We'll catch you next week on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.